you have your Bibles, please get them open to 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 4. We're going to look at passages in both. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one in the seat back in front of you. You get to page 1076 and 1077. You're going to be able to see both of them. So that's all you need to know. Get there and uh, we'll get launched out in this. I want to start this morning by simply just asking you this question. What if everything that you keep hearing is wrong? What if every way that you're being shaped, every way that you're being formed, every way that you're being discipled is leading you not to fulfillment and not to joy, but instead to despair and emptiness? What if the most consistent messages of our day are actually rooted in lies from a being in a kingdom that is hell-bent on your destruction, not your fulfillment? What if, and hang with me, life really isn't about you? From the youngest of ages, we are conditioned and trained to be consumers, right? Our world, our truths, even our facts now are filtered through algorithms and hand-delivered to us to convince us more and more that we are right and they, whoever they are, are wrong, right? Routine ways of life, like going to the bank and going to something called a movie rental store. If you're under 20, I'll explain what that is to you later, right? Going to newspaper stand, right? Even, even nowadays, going to the grocery store is more and more the chances to have, to put out effort and dare I say it, wait for something are being eliminated. And instead of earning or being given platforms by God, social media hands them to all without even attempting to discern whether it's wise to do so. Younger generations used to, to dream about being athletes or astronauts or musicians or inventors or doctors and more. Now, you want to know what the latest statistics is now? The vast majority of young kids want to grow up to be YouTube influencers. Not something you earn, but you talk into a phone and make money and have fame and have influence. It's no surprise that in that the midst of that particular cultural stew, one philosophy, one religion, one creed is winning the day, and it is the God of self. The idea that truth and hope and identity and power and influence all reside within you. And the more you make your life about you, and the less you worry about others, including God, the better off you're going to be. So speak your truth, Right? Live your truth. Live your life. Be authentically you, but only as you would define it or whatever group you've associated with. That's what we're told. It's what we're fed. It's what we eat up on a daily basis. But no one ever seems to stop and ask, is any of this working? Because anxiety, depression, suicide, they're all skyrocketing in young people. Societal divisions are deepening. Anger is on the rise. Hate crimes are going through the roof. Just, just go to the store this afternoon and, and ask yourself the question, do people seem happy to you? Because is not the truest test of all ideologies and religions and truths to that question, does it actually work? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ stood on a mountaintop and he told thousands. He said, if you want to be wise then you will hear my words, my teachings, and you will put them into practice, and you're going to be like the wise man who built his house in the rock, because even when the storms of life come, everything you've built your life upon, everything you trusted, will hold firm. And then he said, if you want to be a fool, then you ignore what I've taught you, and you put your faith and trust in literally anything else out there. And when the storms of life come, everything that you've trusted in will crash all around you. 
His confidence that his way of life, his truth, and his teachings were far superior to everything else remains unmatched and unwavering. But you know what the curious thing is? The curious thing is that his message sounds nothing like what we're hearing today. In fact, his life and his example were nothing at all that we celebrate today. That though he is God, though he was in heaven surrounded by worship at all times, he came here to us in a startling act of humility. This is how he himself put it in Mark 10. He said, even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served. But why did he come? He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Not only that, he then turned around and called those of us who want to be his followers to that exact same type of life. He said, anyone wants to be first, here's how it is in my kingdom. He must be last and servant of all. The second question I want to lay before you this morning is this. What if Jesus Christ was right and everyone else is wrong? We here at Valley Church are unashamedly a Jesus church. And we are so because we found him to be better than anything else out there. We found life, we found grace, we found forgiveness, we found freedom and eternity in him. And so if I'm ever choice to choose, forced to choose between what Jesus says and what literally everyone else is saying, I'm riding with him because he's God. And it turns out that there's a major secret to fulfillment and joy in life. And it's not just recognizing this truth, but embracing this hard truth, that your life is not about you. It's about him then it's about others, and you are a distant, distant, distant third. And the more that we can actually embrace that, the more that we can live a life of service to God and others, the better off we're all going to be. So to help us understand this call, and I want to look at a couple of passages in First Peter. And so uh, I want to invite our scripture reader, uh, Shelby here. Is she here this morning? Who is my scripture reader this morning? Shelby, there she is. Come on up, Shelby. And uh, she's going to be reading for us a passage in 1 Peter 2. It's going to be verses 9 and 10, and then 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. And so if you're physically capable, would you please stand with her to honor the reading of the scriptures this morning? Good morning. 2, 9 to 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Chapter 4, 10 through 11. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. You guys have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. I'm thankful for each and every person in this room, the chance we've had to worship you, and now the chance we get to look into your word and understand this calling that is plain and ordinary in the scriptures, but radical and countercultural in all day. And so I pray that you, Lord, would teach the loudest, you would speak, you'd push me and the distractions of life out of the way and just say what you want to say this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. 
Well, I want to welcome you all the Valley Church. We're excited that you are here today. Uh, if you're a guest, as, as Brandon already mentioned, we're especially thankful you're here today. And it's kind of a unique time in our church. This is our last Sunday in our vision series. Next week, we're going to jump right back into the book of Mark. Uh, we've been in Mark for over a year already, and we're excited to jump back into it with a really soft, easy landing point of divorce. So look forward to that next Sunday, right? Um, but the original plan was for our vision series to be one Sunday, right? And, and then I tinted to write this, and it was impossible, right? You'd have been here Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and Monday morning. I just didn't want to do that to you. And so we ended up expanding it to cover the month of January. And so in the first Sunday, we looked at Acts 13, where we read how the church in Antioch became the very first sending church in the history of the Christian church. And we talked about just kind of the season of transition we're in. We, if, you, if you're a guest, you may not know, we, we changed our name January 1st, right? We hired uh, Seth Wyram to go lead our first church plant. Like, it's just that we're going to walk in obedience to the Lord to be a sending church. And so in that, we mentioned three pillars in our pursuit to be a sending church. So we're going to build our ministry around formation, multiplication, and service. And so formation, right, is just the idea that we as a body of believers will pursue being formed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, the, that we're going to be with him, hopefully we're going to become like him, and then we're going to do as he did. Uh, multiplication is, is a word that's not in the New Testament, but it's somehow on every page in the New Testament, right? And it's just the idea that there's nothing that God does in our lives that's meant to end with us. It's supposed to bless us and then go out of us and bless many other people. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Brandon and Pastor Seth uh, this morning uh, when I realized that we were going to have to unpack this vision over the month of January. It really hurt me because I knew I was going to miss two Sundays. And, there's, and I just was like, man, this is the stuff I'm most excited about. I'm most excited preaching this, and I'm going to give away two of them. And then two things really helped in that. The first is this. A vision that's not shared is a pet project, right? And so if a vision is from God truly, then it's for all and it spreads and gets contagious. And so I think it was a really good thing uh, for us as a church to hear from the entire pastoral staff in this series. And they did a great job with their topics and I was proud of them. The other thing that really helped is I was in Florida and Mexico and you were dealing with something called a polar vortex. I don't know what that is. I just know I want nothing to do with it, right? Now, there were a couple days, it got warm enough, I started to sweat. So don't think I didn't suffer along with you, all right? But this morning, I want to unpack the third pillar of our pursuit. Brandon went through formation, Seth went through multiplication, and today, we're gonna, the third thing that we're going to look at that we hope defines our culture around here is service. And I want to start by establishing just a really clear, impactful Bible truth. And that is that we who are followers of Jesus, we have been saved and called to serve. There are some distinctions that Peter is making in his letter here in chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2, verse 10, where shall be read for us, he says, he says to his readers that were Gentiles, he says, once you were not a people, Right? You're just, you weren't identified as a people, and once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You, like my readers, Peter's saying, you know the goodness and grace of God that exists in Jesus Christ. And because of that, now you went from not being a people, now you are actually God's people. More than that, he gives some pretty specific titles in verse 9. He says, you're a chosen race, and then this is the one I want to zoom in on this morning. He says, you are a royal priesthood. 
And understand what he means by that. We need to look back at what the, what the priests did in Judaism under the Old Testament law. The priests were people who were set apart. Their lives were set apart for service to the Lord. They worked in the temple or the synagogue. Right? They were to represent God to his people, and their lives were devoted to, in service to the Lord. It was the Levites and priests that were distinct in this way. But what Peter's mentioning here is that in the New Testament, the church of Jesus, there's way less distinction. Right? There's not, that's not just a select few anymore. The Bible teaches that every single follower of Jesus Christ is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us, and then that Spirit, that Spirit gives each of us gifts and talents and things that we're good at, these spiritual gifts that are given to us not for our benefit. Right? We're not to leverage them to make our lives better, but so that we can use them to serve God and build up the church. Right? And so the reality is now, Peter is telling all his readers, the reality is that now you're all priests. That everybody in here this morning who's a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a priest. You are to live your lives in service to God and to others. Not only that, we're also told in the scriptures that God has designed us with specific acts of service in mind. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. And it says this, that you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourself, it's God's gift. It's not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I'm going to leave that scripture up for just a second, and I want to point out to you that this is not contradictory. There's two things Paul's unpacking there. And first is this. He says, you are saved. That means, that means that you have been forgiven of your sins. You have been redeemed and reconciled to God. You've been justified by the work of Jesus Christ and the cross and his death and resurrection. And you've been adopted as God's children. That happened to you by grace. You didn't earn it. It was a free gift. And it came to you through faith. So you did not do this. He specifically says in verse 9, it's not from work so that nobody can boast about it, right? Any of us who are in Jesus Christ today can't brag about it because he did all of it. Now, what that means is that you did no work or no act of service that could ever save you that was impossible. It's only by believing in Jesus and in Jesus alone can we find salvation. But what does the very next verse say? It says, for we are God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has specifically prepared ahead of time for us to do, which means this, that we have been saved from works. We've been saved from ever having to work for our salvation because we couldn't earn it, but we've also been saved to works. Right? There are things that God has prepared just for us, created specifically just for you to do in this life in his name and for his glory. Isn't it awesome to have a God who loves you so specifically in such detailed ways? This has been the plan all along. Your life was never designed to be only about you. What Ephesians 2 tells us is your salvation was never designed to be only about you. You are a huge beneficiary of it, yes, but then it unleashes you to a life of service. From the way God made you, when he called you and saved you, to how he's worked in your life, all of it has been because he has specifically prepared things for you to do in his name, for his kingdom, for his glory, to the benefit of other people. Now let me ask you, isn't that a much more compelling vision for your life than the current messaging of our day that your life should be all about you? It's your truth that matters. It's your desires and feelings that trump all. The Bible tells a different story, that life's about God. 
And that Jesus Christ, his son, came and gave up his life for us so that we never have to live self-focused again. Because with our greatest need, our greatest need of salvation, with that covered, what that does is it frees us up to be people of service and love and humility and generosity, which is awesome. The other reality is this, that there are opportunities for service everywhere. Talking a lot about service this morning, it might be good to define it. And so let's look at chapter 4, 1 Peter. I'm going to read in verses 10 through 11. Peter writes, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, there are some benchmarks of service that we can see in those verses, right? Verse 10 tells us that service is to benefit others, right? It's not about, you can, you're allowed to enjoy it, right? But the main idea is that you're benefiting others with it. Number two in verse 11 is that the heart of service is intended to glorify God and not ourselves. And then the third thing in verse 11 is that service is done in connection with God. That's why Peter says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as one who's speaking God's words. If anyone serves, let him serve with the strength God provides. We do it in unison with our creator. And so I'll make a really kind of uh, underwhelming attempt at defining service for you this morning. Service is anything done specifically to help others for the glory of God. So anything you do in your life that's specifically meant to benefit others and not you, and you do it for the glory of God, that is Christian service. And the possibilities of that are endless. It can be as simple as helping with chores around the house without being asked. It can be trying to make someone's day better. It can be helping a friend or neighbor with a project. It can be giving, this is one that needs more in our day. It can be giving someone your undivided attention and listening to them. It can be making a call, sending a card, holding open a door. Just don't overthink it. The opportunities to be a servant every day are out there and they're everywhere. And the more that you can live those out, the more that you can practice those and take advantage of this, the more this can become a rule of life for you. And you can start to see yourself as a servant. For Valley Church specifically, there are going to be three areas of service that I want us to pursue. And the first is this, is to serve Jesus in his church. Now, we're not going to be able to go in depth because this is a flyover today. It's part of why I like uh, preaching through books and not doing topical teaching because you just have to do flyovers, right? But there's a few things that I want us to be aware of when it comes to this. Number one is that we expect members of Valley Church to serve. It is an expectation that we have, right? And, And it's not our idea. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, all these talk about how every single follower of Jesus has been given a spiritual gift, and they've been giving, given that gift for the building up of the church first. Now, that's not primary or exclusive, right? Or not, it's not exclusive. You can obviously use your gift to benefit non-believers. But the main reason, the primary purpose that God has given you a spiritual gift is for the edification and building up of your local church. And if you don't know what your gift is this morning, right, and I'm going to suggest two things for you. There are really easy to find uh, spiritual gift inventories online. It's like a personality test that you can take, and then they give you what they think your spiritual gift might be and define it for you. Uh, I wouldn't hold those as gospel truths, but they're great launching points. Right? There's groups like LifeWay and other conservative groups uh, theologically that we trust that, that have these. Take one of those if you never have. Second, with that as your launching point, the best way to find your gift is this. Just try different areas of service. 
See what goes best. See how, see what you do that other people are like, man, you really blessed me with that. Or you found joy and it became easy to you. That's the greatest way and the tried and true way. But we expect our members to serve. Number two, every gift, every single spiritual gift can be used to build up the church, but they do not require a ministry or a title to be used. This is crucially important. So often, so many people sit in churches week after week, never using their giftedness because they're waiting for some kind of title to be deputized or identified. Where there are countless gifts, gifts like mercy, gifts like encouragement, gifts like faith, prayer, hospitality, and more. These gifts are utilized in groups. They're utilized in small numbers. They're utilized in one-on-one relationships and in conversations and moments throughout the week. They're not utilized in a sanctuary or a public setting. They don't come with a title, but they are just as vitally important, and the Bible is crystal clear on that. So if you're out there waiting for somebody to hand you a ministry title to do something, stop waiting and just start serving. And number three is this. The need for volunteers in the church will always be present. Just to do what we do, we will always need volunteer help. And this is a tricky balance that I need to walk a lot in these services because I don't want to spend times in worship services, services designed for us to worship the Lord and learn more about him, begging for help. I hate that feeling. But the need is real. And based on demographics alone, right, the need for help in children's ministry is ever-present. It won't shock you today when I tell you we have holes right now. We have spots that need filled right now, right? And, and there are sign-up sheets in the back on that table. And if you would, you may be the answer to prayer for one of our ministry directors. But we don't, we also have group, we also need group leaders. We need current group members who say, I'm willing to lead a group one day. I'd like to be trained in that. We need greeters and people for the fellowship team and people for the watch team and people willing to make coffee on Sunday mornings. And there's always room on the prayer team, always room on the prayer team. We'd love, we've bantered about in Savings, we'd love to have a service host. Right, we'd love for somebody to just say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take either the 9.30 or 11 service, that's gonna be my service, and I will emcee it every Sunday, and I'll greet guests, and I'll share announcements so that whoever is worshiping that day, whoever's preaching that day, the only thing they have to think about is their ministry to do that day. Right? There's not a ministry here that I would say is overstaffed. And so if you're here and you're not serving, right, then a big part of the reason God has brought you here, I believe, is to step into one of those areas that you're actually the answer to prayer of one of our ministry directors. You just don't know it yet. And so sign up, reach out, ask for a meeting. We'll happily come alongside you and plug you in somewhere and find you a place of service. But as I talk about that, I want to be sure that we are careful as a church never to act like service only exists within the walls of the church because that is patently untrue. This is why the second area, an area we're going to spend time celebrating as a church, is where you serve Jesus in your everyday life. Because opportunities to serve within the walls of our church, right, in Sunday mornings and other times, they'll always be limited. There's, there's a cap on them. But the opportunities to serve outside these walls on Monday through Saturday are endless. There are all kinds of ways for you to serve God and serve others in your everyday life with your life and your skills and your talents and your passions and more. I want to highlight one such story that's happened in our church. And I need to say this, there's a lot more, okay? I'm highlighting one because you don't want to be here until 2 p.m., all right? 
I'm highlighting one, but there's a lot more. Tracy Saris is a longtime member of Valley Church. Tracy, you've been a member of what, 75, 80 years? Something like that, which is weird. She's only 82, so she joined young, right? I'm gonna say nice things about her. I had to start with a mean joke, all right? But a few years ago, she, she saw an opportunity in her life to take something that she was passionate about, which is fitness, and turn it into a ministry. And so she followed the Lord in obedience, went out west, I think Arizona or somewhere, and got training. And the whole plan was her to just offer fitness classes that we could host here at the church. And the goal was to integrate the gospel and the Bible and to worship into workouts. And so she just, that was the plan. And so she started, and a committed core started coming. And another one of our members, Roxanne Poe, joined the leadership team. And at some point in this process, an opportunity arose for that team to take those classes to Rockville, to the women's prison. And so twice a month, for over a year, they've been doing workouts and sharing the light of Jesus with those women in what could be a really dark place. And now because they've done that, right, they've been given an opportunity to have a volleyball ministry in the Rockfield prison too. By the way, they just so happen to need volunteers and servants for that. So if that's something you'd be interested in, find Tracy after the sermon. But listen, I butchered that story for time. If you talk to Tracy and talk to Roxanne, they could recount in great details a lot of amazing things God has done to get them past each step. But the idea is this, it simply started with a passion. And they were open to serving God with it, said yes to one opportunity, and then God continued to open door after door after door and has already taken it further than anybody planned on or thought of. That's what he does. There are similar stories I could tell you about the impact our Priceless team made, our community outreach team has done, the Operation Christmas Child team that works around the the calendar, our Sunshine Circle team and how they've blessed so many people in the nursing homes, many of you who are going into prisons on your own with other ministries and so many more. Not to mention the growing numbers of families in our midst who pour out their lives fostering kids and being advocates for children. Those of you who serve your neighbors in untold, unseen ways. In fact, I'm just gonna say this. If in 2024, you're out there this morning and you're doing awesome things for people and you're not putting it all over Instagram and Facebook, can I tell you how much I value and I love you this morning? Because you're serving the Lord in obscurity and making sure that he gets the glory. We want to be the church that celebrates and honors service outside the church walls as much or not more so than we do inside. Which is the third area that we need to start thinking through and praying through. And that is serving Jesus all over the world. Now, you know, you already have, I've already told you, we're going to Nicaragua in about three weeks, hopefully to find another uh, village partnership there, someplace, people that we can love. But there are other things that you can do in your life as we're waiting for that. The first two, serving Jesus in the church and in your everyday life, that's serving God right where he has you, right? You don't need to go anywhere, you don't need to do anything, he's already put you there. But our God gave us a mission that covers the entire world, Right, Matthew 28, I think it's like the ninth straight sermon we've quoted the Great Commission, right? And that's, there's, there's a reason for that. It's literally our marching orders. It says that Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And you might be thinking, how do I serve God all over the world while living in one place? I'm just in Terre Haute only, Right? Well, it's not the way that we typically do it in the American church, right? We have a missionary visiting today, Christy Walker. We're excited she's here. The most common posture I've seen towards missionaries in the American church is this. We love missionaries. We appreciate missionaries. We're so, we're so thankful that missionaries go so that we don't have to, right? 
That's why we love them. That's not a biblical posture. Every one of us is called to the exact same mission as all those missionaries, right? Every one of us is to be serving God's global mission in some way in our lives. And so there are ways that every follower of Jesus can be active in serving God's global mission, even if you stay in Terre Haute. And the first is this, is just pray. The really cool thing that's happened over the last three to four months is that everybody on our missions team has been assigned one of our missions partners. And they've been communicating with them, emailing back and forth, having video calls with them, encouraging them, checking in on them, seeing how we can serve them, seeing how we can pray for them. You know what? Every single person, regardless of age, income, health, strength, everybody can be a part of that. Everybody can pray. And so if you want to be a part of our missions team, let me know. If you want to know some ways to pray, want their newsletters forwarded to you, reach out. We will get you that information. The question I want you to wrestle with this morning, is there a, any missionary in your life that you and your family are currently praying for? Anybody serving overseas that it's a part of your, your rhythm with the Lord that you are praying that God will bless their ministry and make them effective in reaching disciples all over the world? And if you're not, that's a really easy way for you to start getting into this global mission. Number two is give, right? Because these people can't go without support. And so in addition, in addition to your ties to your local church, you can trust God with your finances by giving to a missionary, supporting a missionary. There are many people who are listening to me right now who are doing this, right? And, and they would agree with me with this, say, this statement. I've said it before and I've said it again. There has been a lot of purchases that I've made in my life, a lot of money that I've spent on myself that I've ended up regretting. I have never regretted a single penny that I've ever given to the Lord or his mission. Everybody can do this. Even small amounts make a difference. Number three is that we can send. All right? This is just, this is just it's the idea of looking up and seeing who God has put you in community with. Having eyes to see people that God is preparing to go, even if they haven't recognized it yet. And going up and telling them, you know what, if you ever wanted to pursue that, I would be behind you and I would support you and I would encourage you in that. One great thing I learned at the missions conference last week is that so many fields can go. There were people there who were, who were serving as full-time missionaries in construction and in healthcare and teachers and all kinds of different trades and more. What used to be reserved just for church planners is now being opened up to people in all walks of life with different variety of skills and passions. And so if you want to take your gift, you want to take your job, you want to take your family and use it for the kingdom of, all, of God all over the world, we want to be a place to send you. I was in a meeting this week, and one of our elders, Andy Johnson, said, if anybody is thinking about going, right, I would love to meet with them and help prepare them because he and JC have led their family through this twice. So you've got that resource here available to you. And if you have any, and if you're, you're not able to go, but you have any kind of experience serving the Lord, it doesn't mean that you necessarily were a missionary, but you have experienced serving the Lord, following after him, growing in him, taking risks for him, you can help disciple and prepare anybody who's thinking about it. And the last is yes, you can go. And I'm going to state this clearly. It's a shame. It's a shame that in 112 years as a church, we've sent out one family. And when they came to us, they were missionaries already. So we don't exactly get credit in discipling them. That's not a record we should be proud of, church. But we are believing God to change it. And it starts with our mindset 
Right? There's a lot of people in the church who never even consider going. It's not a thought process. It's, it's, a, it's a no from the start. Then there's another set that do. But this is the mindset they carry. This is the one I've carried my whole life. I'm willing to go if God calls me. But in every area of my life, I'm preparing to stay. What if we switch that? What if in recognition of God's global mission, what if recognizing that it's impossible to go from the 120 people that we see in Acts 1 in the upper room to the the scene that Seth read for us last week of, of this vast multitude from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language gathered around the throne in Revelation 7 praising God, if it's impossible to accomplish that without people being willing to go? What if our posture instead was, I'm willing to stay where he has me if he tells me to stay the rest of my life, but I'm preparing to go. I'm preparing as if one day I will be sent. I'm preparing as if he's going to have to close doors in my face to stop me. That is a much more obedient way to live. It's a much more terrifying way to live, but it's a much more obedient way to live, and it's one that will honor God. Now, with all this great stuff, right, that we've been called and saved to serve, the possibilities for service are endless on and on, there's another thing that we really need to be honest about this morning, and it's this, that service can go poorly. It can go bad, right, because there are two things that will never change. Number one, you are a sinner, and anyone you serve will be a sinner, and so there's always a chance for it to be a bad experience. This may shock you. Okay, but you need to know this in advance. You can serve people and they not appreciate it to the degree that you think they should. You can, just by serving people, right, open yourself up to more criticism than if you didn't serve them at all. You can, without boundaries, get burnt out and get tired. And instead of feeling love and joy and peace, instead of feeling closer to the Lord, like you've joined up with him in his mission, you feel bitter and unappreciated and disillusioned. That can happen. You can begin to find your personal identity, not in Jesus, but in your service. And do things like start to call it your ministry instead of God's ministry and begin to be uninfluenceable. And your service starts actually being more about you than God or others. I know you would never do that, but other people do at times. Just serving alone without any guards or without any barriers is not enough. In fact, this plays into how all three of our pillars feed off each other. Without formation, right, if we aren't becoming more and more like Jesus, then our service will dry up. It will. Because our motivations will be off, right? And then there's no point in multiplying or sending unhealthy people in unhealthy ministries. Without multiplication, we aren't really being formed in the likeness of Jesus because his heart is a multiplying heart, And our service loses impact because without multiplication, we just keep serving and helping our own friends and people who can pay us back. And Jesus warned us a lot about that. And then without service, again, we aren't becoming like Jesus because the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And we can go wherever we want, but we aren't helping others when we get there. And so we want to get these right, right? Which is why I want to make this commitment to you this morning, that we as your church are here to equip you. And again, there's nothing in this vision that is about us. Nothing originates with us. We've stolen all of it from the Bible. This is God's vision for the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. 
It says, he himself at Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. The Bible could not be clearer. All in the church of Jesus are priests, right? And the role of leaders in the church is to equip the saints to be the priests that they are. So many times I've seen the American church us get this backwards, right? We hire church leaders to do the majority of the work. And so they're doing ministry all the time instead of developing ministers. And then there's a core devoted group of volunteers who love God and love the church and they want to see things succeed. And so they all end up volunteering in three, four, five, six, seven ways. And eventually they start dropping, right? They start burning out because nobody can keep that pace going. And and then, because there's a hole and something has to be done, another willing person takes their place and then starts volunteering in three, four, five, six, seven ways until they burn out and drop out. And the hired ministers are doing so much ministry that they can't develop anyone else. And that's the cycle, and it repeats for generation after generation after generation. That is not how God designed the church at all. The vision of becoming a place where all are priests and all look out for each other, where everything becomes a shared load. It might seem idealistic, but we so stubbornly believe the Bible, we're going to try for it. A few years ago, one of my dear friends came down with cancer, and his wife, who's not a believer and who works in a secular place, all of her coworkers willingly volunteered their PTO and vacation time so that she could be by him when he was getting treatment. And I remember thinking at the time, how do I see a better picture of the church in a secular workplace than I ever have in the church? So we've scaled back some of our operations to protect our servants and to give us margin to equip and train more of you. In fact, Seth mentioned this last week, but it needs repeated. If anybody, listen to me, if any one of you out there who call Valley Home wants to go deeper in your service to Jesus, but you don't know how, we are here for you. Your staff and elders are here for you. We want to meet with you and create an individualized development plan. Have you heard of these individualized education plans in the schools? We're going to create an individualized development plan to get you from step A, where you feel the Lord tugging in your heart now, to step Z, where you're actually in service to him. And we will figure it out together with you. Because the staff here is available for you because we know that God demands this of us. We'd be disobedient if we weren't. And we want to see you flourish in your service to our king. And this means serving him the right way, serving him with healthy limits, serving him for the right reasons, for his glory and not yours. And we want to help you get there. And lastly, and I saved the most important thing for last, so I sure hope you're still with me. It's this, do everything in love. One of the shortest, most impactful verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 16, 14, that simply just says, do everything in love. This is the key to all of it. If you were here when Seth was ordained uh, and on Jan- in January 7th, uh, our el- one of our elders, Doug Miller, just, just that was the charge. Be a person of love. Love God and love the people you serve. And this is why. Because you will get tired. And everyone you serve will be a sinner. And you have limits and you're a sinner. And you can get off track and your motivation can be off. But look, look with me at First Peter 4 again. Look what we're told about love. In verse 8, it says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers it all. Which is why worship must always precede service. 
We worship first in our lives, and then we serve God second. Because when we keep our love for God and our view of God high, we are able to withstand the storms that service brings. When we keep our love for God high, criticism hits softer because it's his view that matters more. When we keep our love for God high, the temptation to make it about us becomes less because we're enamored with his glory and not ours. When we keep our love for God high, our weaknesses become portals for his strength to be displayed, not things to be frustrated over. When we keep our love for God high, we protect our service to him and we give up our selfish or worldly pursuits first when we're, not t- when we're tired, not the other way around. See, it all begins, it all starts, it all has its foundation in a deep love and appreciation of Jesus Christ. That's how we serve him in the long run. And the more that we love God, here's what happens. The more we start to love what matters to him. And what matters to God is people. And if a love for God and a love of people remain at the core of our service, so many good things result. My preferences begin to matter way less. Who gets credit uh, or recognition means nothing to me, right? Titles are being sent or are, are are being seen become meaningless to me. I don't start seeing it as my ministry, but instead God's ministry that he's graciously allowed me to be part of for a season. It doesn't matter if I agree or disagree with the decision or choice didn't go my way. Why? Because God loves me and he loves people and there's far too much to do and so many ways to serve people that we can't get bogged down by ourselves. That's why. You, Valley Church, at one point you were separated from God. At one point you did not know mercy, but now you are God's people and you are his children and now you know his mercy. And so be good stewards of the life and gifts that you've been given. Be last, be a servant of all for the sake and renown of Jesus Christ, for his glory and a love and devotion for him. Last week at the conclusion of Seth's sermon, he put a question on the screen. I was sitting right over there in my seat and I got, I literally, it just doesn't happen to me a lot, right? I wish it happened more, but I got emotional thinking about the answer. And the question was twofold. I don't remember the first half. Sorry, Seth, wherever you are. But the second half of the question was this. Is God not worthy of devoting your life to? And as you think through this morning ways that you can serve here and bring relief to our devoted volunteers, if you think through ways that you can live a life of service outside of these walls, as you think through ways to be an active part of God's mission to reach the world, keep returning to that question. Is God not worthy of this? Is he not worthy of my service? Is he not worthy of my obedience? Is he not worthy of my yes? Is he not worthy of my sacrifice? What more could he ever do to be worthy? And so I'm praying that around the room this morning, emotions will be struck, convictions will be felt, and what God will find in us, church, is all over this place, our hearts saying with conviction, yes, God, you're worthy. Yes to whatever you're asking, yes. So we're going to give you a time uh, just to spend a couple moments in prayer with him, wrestling over maybe something he's put on your heart, maybe an opportunity that you heard about today, and, and we're going to let him try to convince you, this is what I've created you for. These are the good works that I've prepared in advance for you today. And as you're wrestling with whether to be obedient or not, just ask yourself the question, is he worthy of my life and service?